2013 said that 15 to 24-year-olds have a 25% chance of having issues with these kind of mental problems, of these mental illnesses, whether it's a, a depression problem or panic attacks or just severe anxiety or um, social anxiety disorder or any of these things, it's a 25% chance. This is four years ago. Now I'm looking at our schools and I'm going, man, this is probably a way higher number just because of the things that I'm seeing. And I'm, I'm no one. I'm just some random guy who gets to talk and wears cardigans. Like, that's who I am, you know? Like, like, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to nurse after nurse after psych nurse who's saying, man, this is a flood. This is a wave through all of our high schools of students feeling this way. So how is this a conversation that we cannot bring up and talk about? This is our, our heart. We don't want to be confrontational. Um, we have just been praying that God guides words, that when things are said, you wouldn't take them offensive. You wouldn't just um, be so closed off because of the pain that you felt with this that you aren't willing to listen a bit. And that's our hope for this is that we just allow Jesus into this conversation. We allow him to help you through things. Maybe you take things away. We're not saying this is you're gonna go through this, this series and then boom, you're fixed. That's not the whole point. We're just trying to open a conversation of how does Jesus interact with these kinds of things. And so this is what we're gonna do. Today, we're gonna to talk about the idea of what it is to have a thought life. What is it to think as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus? Next week, we're gonna talk about fear and anxiety. We're gonna be pretty direct and pretty head on. The week after that, we're gonna have uh, Pastor Josh Cruz come and he's gonna speak on uh, depression. He was a professor at Trinity. He has his own private practice. He is an amazing psychologist, doctorate, the whole shebang. The last week, we're gonna have a Q&A session where you guys are gonna be able to send your questions and we're gonna have registered psychologists all up here answering your question as head on as they possibly can. That week, the juniors are not gonna be here. They're gonna go laser tagging. So it's kind of just us. It can be a little bit more serious. And uh, that's the game plan for this series. So we hope that you join us the whole way through and uh, make this uh, a time that maybe if you're not a regular attender here, you would just make these four weeks the time that you're here, you spend with us, you get to know some people and allow Jesus into your heart in a crazy new profound way. Let me pray and uh, we can get going. Father God, we thank you so much for what you're doing here in this place, God, that you would just change us from the inside, that you would just do such a tremendous work with us as we are just wanting to learn about what it is that you've called us to, about what it is that you're teaching us, about the challenges that we might have in our own lives with these conversations and topics, that you would grow us, you'd expand our horizons, and you would allow us to trust you even deeper than possibly we do now. So Father, we thank you, we love you, just wanna pray, amen. Um, in terms of youth ministries, we are going to go to probably the most preached passage of any youth ministry ever. And uh, if you are a regular attender here or if you have attended a youth ministry before, um, this is going to be pretty familiar to you. We're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, uh, pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, we have some girls with Bibles that are going to be running around down the aisles. Just raise your hands up and they will snag you one. Um, if you do not own a Bible and they give you a Bible, take that as your gift have it with you, that's yours, and uh, have fun with it. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Then we're going to jump to uh, 2 Samuel. This is what it says. I'll start in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, this is Paul talking to believers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in this whole idea of spiritual formation, what that means, it's a Christian-y word to talk about you becoming more like Jesus. So spiritual formation is you becoming more like Jesus. The first stop on that journey is this idea of renewing your mind. This is why we're starting with this whole thought life thing, because Paul makes it very, very clear. We need to make a priority of what it is that you're actually thinking about. The second place we want to go to is 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, it's a common story that we all know, and uh, let's just read it and see what it has for us today. 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is what it is. There's a guy named David. There's a guy named Nathan. David is a famous king. He has killed lions with his bare hands. He's highly emotional, great worship leader. And uh, he also sucks at having a wife because he cheats on his wife. And the woman that he cheats on his wife with, he kills that woman's husband and gets himself into a whole lot of trouble. So now Nathan is this guy confronting David. And this is what he has to say when he talks to David. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, right? Flocks and herds at that time, agrarian society is basically your moolah. It's your cash. It's what you have that you own that's precious to you, your herds and your flocks. So this dude's got a lot of it. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he had brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. So imagine you got this little lamb as a tiny little baby lamb and you just grown with it and it just played with your kids and it ate from your plates and drank from your cup. Like you are emotionally attached at that point because that's all kind of nasty, right? So you are emotionally attached to this lamb. And then look at what happened. Now, now there was a, a, came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing." And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. Now, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? Let me try to give you a bit of an illustration to set up the idea that we have tonight. And this thing happened today. So I am in a, a master's program right now at school, and uh, it's like the bomb, it's difficult, but it's awesome. And I'm sitting in class, and the, and the prof that I have is probably, I would say, top five biblical scholars in the world. Like, this dude is like, Mur, you know? So I don't know what mur is, but that's what he is. He's just like, come on, right? So all of a sudden he's teaching my class and this dude's a giant. He has to be like six foot six. Now I'm trying to impress him because he's cool. Like I want to be cool. So I sat in the front row because I do that kind of stuff. And I'm listening to this guy talk and it's just so interesting. And so uh, how it works for us, we have like four hour classes. So we start at 8.30, we have a break at like 10 o'clock. And so at 10 o'clock, everybody's trying to get rejuvenated, right? So you go, you get yourself some coffee, you get a muffin. Why? 
We don't know. That's all they got. So we get some muffins. This day, I'm like, no, I ain't about that muffin life, but I don't want to get the coffee because it's going to get me some weird poop. So what I'm going to do is I need some uh, pick-me-ups. So I go over to the cashier and I'm like, hey, what do you got? That's not coffee, not tea, none of that nonsense. What do you got? He goes, he goes like, and he said it like a drug dealer, which is weird. He's like, I got some Pellegrinos. And I was like, what colors? And then he said, uh, he looks into the fridge. He goes, I got yellow and uh, orange. And I'm like, Nobody wants the yellow Pellegrino. We, I'm about the orange life. So uh, you guys are racist. Anyway, so um, all of a sudden I get, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so um, I go and I get this, uh, I get the orange Pellegrino, right? So all of a sudden I get that. I'm like, man, I'm about to get like juiced up. <laughs> anyway, so I get the, I get the Pellegrino. This, I'm sorry, my mind's not here today. I get the Pellegrino and I go back to class and uh, there's a sign on the door that says no drinks other than water. So now I'm like in a predicament, right? I'm like, oh no, do I like fake it till I make it and just think that I thought that it was water? Or do I just try and drink it the whole way through and just not care because I'm a rebel like that? Or do I hide it in my pocket? So I decided to hide it in my pocket. And so what I did was I'm, I was wearing this exact same thing, which is kind of disgusting because you'll see it in the future or in a minute. Um, I, had, uh, I had it in this pocket, right? Fairly big pocket. It's got a lot of use to it, right? I could probably fit like my head in this thing. And so I have it in there. It's hidden away. And I also have my wallet, okay? So let me show you my wallet. It's a nice little, ooh, look at that wallet. Sleek. It's designed as perfect. But the problem is it has this little metal clip at the back of it, right? So, and this is also in this pocket. So now it's chilling in this pocket. The pop is in this pocket. This is a long story. I'm sitting in this chair, and all of a sudden, 10 minutes left in class, I push my pant leg up against the, the, the desk thing, and the clip digs into the pop, and all I hear is and it just starts going everywhere. So now it's like all I'm like, oh my, you, you, like I felt it before I heard it. Like that's the problem. And so now all of a sudden I'm like, I got some wetness. So I immediately get up. Like I don't even care about the teacher anymore. I need to get out of here. So I get out, I pull it out of my pocket. I still try to finish it. I don't know. And so, um, and so I throw it away and I come back. And at, when I come back, the class is over. Okay, the class is gone, it's done. And as I walk back to my chair and I have like the, the paper towels or whatever and I'm, and I'm cleaning it up and, and you can imagine me in this moment, like in, in my situation, I'm cleaning this up and this old man, he's probably like minimum 172. And he walks over to me and he says to me, it only gets worse as you get older. <laughs> Something in like... Like, what gets worse, like your eyesight? <laughs> um, and so I'm kind of confused. And then as I'm thinking about this and pondering, I look over and the dude Batmans me. You know when Batman just disappears? Like, this is the fastest 172-year-old man that there ever was. So he takes off, and now I'm starting to connect all of the dots. My pants are wet. I look down at my chair, and there's this yellowy substance in the chair. Oh, my gosh, this guy think. I just, I just peed myself. He thinks I peed myself. And then the worst part about it is as soon as I began to notice, all of these other so-called Christian classmates 
jerks, walked over and they saw my nastiness on the chair and they gave me like the up down eyes, like how could you, you should be ashamed, get some depends. Like they had those kind of eyes and then they walked out of the class. And so now all of a sudden what began to happen was me, this old man instilled into me a thought. This, this, this thought was, I peed myself, right? And then all of a sudden what began to happen was I didn't even pee myself, but he thought I did. And what immediately happened after that was this whole feeling of like embarrassment and shame. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy who's like the theologian, the Bible dude thinks I peed myself. Like this is awful. This is a horrible situation, whatever. This sucks. I clean it up. It's all sticky. I just left it. I go to my car. I get in my car. I'm driving in my car. All I'm thinking about is, man, I think thinks I peed myself. Like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so upset. The shame's going and now all of a sudden I'm getting mopey and then the thought comes into my mind again and then the shame goes and then I'm, I'm getting still mopeyer and it's, it's just this cycle over and over and over and over again and then midway through while I'm driving I have a moment where I stop I look at my car I think about tonight and I go this doesn't make any sense and I think about my class in my whole class, this guy was just teaching us about how amazing Jesus was. He comes fully human down to earth to give his life, to ascend at the right hand of God and to just rule and reign in the kingdom that he is creating slowly and slowly. And all of a sudden this idea hit my mind and it almost seemed like everything changed. I sat there in the car and it was kind of weird like, I was like, dude, the guy thought I, like, peed myself. Like, that's pretty funny, you know? And then I started laughing. And I'm like, that's a great story that I need to tell. And then all of a sudden, I left and I was, like, joyous in that moment. And everything in an instant changed. What is... What is that moment? What is that idea? This is what I think Paul would consider... And this idea here, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. This is what he says to the people. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive, every idea that enters into our mind. We're literally putting handcuffs onto it. We're putting it into the jail cell. We're closing that door and not letting it go. We are the ones who are in control. And Paul has this obsession with the mind. He continues this once again in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16. He says this, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you get what that means? Who, who has the mind like the Lord does? And he goes and he says, you do. But we have the mind of Christ, which means that the way that Jesus thinks is not something that we are searching after, that we have to find a magical map, we have to go on this adventure or this journey to go and pursue this. No, it is something you already have. And then Paul continues, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Philippians 3, 14 to 16, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature 
think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul has this obsession over and over and over again, starting with the renewal of your mind, understanding that you have Jesus' mind to press forward in the ideas that you are thinking of. He is obsessed with this idea. And yet... This begins to be a season in church history, in youth ministry history, where this idea isn't coming strong enough to us. Have a mind in the way that Jesus has a mind. Listen to the way that uh, this guy, if you're new here, I quote him a lot. His name is Dallas Willard. He uh, He says this, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. He's basically saying you have a choice about what you think about. You have a choice about what you think about. And this is actually a biological level, okay? This might be a bit confusing, but I want you to stick with me here, okay? Your brain is made up of these things called synapses, right, and neurons. And what begins to happen is when you think an idea, what you think about leads you to another thought. And because those two thoughts are connected, it almost creates a path towards that other idea. Okay, so this is the the basic framework I want you to have. Imagine your brain as a big, massive jungle and you have a machete and everything is just, you know, just trees and bush and the whole shebang. And so you are going from one place to another location. And so for you to go there, you have this machete and you start clearing the path for yourself. Okay, the next day you have to do the exact same thing and you go, okay, I want to go from here to the exact same place and you clear the same amount of area. Now that path has become a lot more clear than yesterday. And then the third day you do the exact same thing. The fourth day you do the exact same thing. The fifth day you do the exact same thing. Now this path that you have created is extremely, extremely clear. So now imagine a random day you're walking by this forest and you kind of say, oh, I need to get kind of somewhere and you see this very clear path. What are you going to do? You're going to walk through it. That's the way your brain works. So this is what I mean. Um, I, have, uh, I have this album that I listen to every single time I travel. Okay? It's the same you know, set of 12 songs I listen to every single time I travel. I put them on, I get super, super pumped. The other day, I go into my car, and one of the songs goes on from the shuffle. And immediately, I just had this like joyousness where I was like, Dude, this is legit. My day is awesome. Like, I don't know. I'm just doing this. I don't know what this is, but I'm doing this in the car and I'm excited and I'm happy. And I started thinking to myself going, why? Because for me, I have only associated this music with joyous things. It's allowing me to remember things. It's because those things are so tightly connected. Those path has been so clear, right? This is what happens with Alzheimer's patients. You have these moments where these people are forgetting their memory and then all of a sudden they figured out when they played music for someone who has an issue like that, they began to remember things. It's because those paths were so clear. This thing gets you over here very quickly because that's what your brain has forged, okay? We get this concept. Now, this also goes the negative way. Maybe you've been in this situation where you have had severe unforgiveness or you've been upset with someone before. 
You are so upset with them that even down to the tiniest little details remember, remind you about that person. You see someone with the same shoes and then all of a sudden you're upset. You see someone who has the exact same sweater or the same purse or, or has the same um, outfit or whatever. You see that individual and it immediately reminds you of the person who you do not like. It's the same principle in play. The first thought leads you to the second one because those paths are so clear. Now, if all I have to do is get you to think about a pair of shoes to make you upset, look at how much control I have over you. And then we start asking ourselves questions in the church like, oh, how does Satan work? It's easy for him. All I gotta do is make her think of that perfume. It'll lead her to the smell of that one girl that she hates. Her day will be ruined. She's gonna spend the day alone. And I have her. It's your thought life. Let me, I have a, a quick graph that I did with a couple psychologists to make it very clear about the way that we operate with things. First, you have a thought. Your thought then leads to your emotions, the way that you feel about something, the way that you, you have this internal feeling about it. Then it moves to a behavior. Your thought moves to a way that you feel, and then because you feel, you do. That's the way that you work. But then all of a sudden, you begin to have these situations where maybe you start off in a different place. You start with just an emotion. You feel something. And then all of a sudden, you, you're just like, you can't make it make sense. You're like, I don't know why I feel this way. I just do. And then you have these sensations. Maybe you have goosebumps or maybe you're just getting very, very hot or you have these sensations that are beginning to occur to you, which then leads you to go into behaviors because you're missing what the thought is. Your thought leads to your behaviors, which leads to your behavior. No, your thoughts leads to your emotions, which leads to your behavior. What you think leads to what you feel, which leads to what you do. You get what I'm saying? So if the spiritual formation starts with the idea, where do you have to have the most control? The first thing, at the thought, at that level, that is the gateway to which you have to begin this whole process. This is the way that it works. Uh, the same guy, Dallas Willard, puts it this way, that for you as a Christian, with your thoughts, with your ideas, this is your responsibility. He says this, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves to a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Spiritual formation in Christ moves to a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. So then what begins to happen the next time? You wake up, and for some reason, I don't know what happens, maybe it's a conversation with your mom, your dad, a sibling, a thought comes into your mind. It's the same thought that comes into your mind every day or every other day. It's this, I am unlovable. Or maybe it's the idea of, no, no one really, really cares about me. 
or I'm, I'm always going to be alone. That thought hits your mind in that instant. Then all of a sudden you show up to school and you, you've started your whole day feeling a certain kind of way. You walk through the doors and then everyone's going, man, why is, why is so-and-so acting so weird? Thought led to the emotion that led to the behavior. So in that moment, your responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to when you have that thought, you have to go back to the ultimate mover of your heart. We talked about this last week. If you begin to fear other things more so than you glorify or you are just pumped or excited about what happened at the cross, then something else is moving your heart more than he is. Because what you should be doing in that moment is when you think about Jesus, your whole situation should flip upside down because of just the amount of emotion that you have with him. And if that moment does not happen, then that means that you have to continue to preach the gospel to yourself to the point where you actually understand. Because once you understand the significance of the cross, of what Jesus has done for you in an instant where you're feeling unliked and that idea pops into your mind, that idea is gone. You get what I'm saying? Because your affections are so stirred by who Jesus is, the very instance where he pops into your mind relegates every other idea. And that's where you have to start. But this is the problem. You can do this. You can do this. You have this idea, man, nobody loves me. And instantly you go, he, he died on a cross for me. No, I am loved. And that's all it takes, that one single shift, that one tiny idea to, to reverse everything that was just about to happen. And there's two problems. One, the idea of Jesus is not strong enough to you, to which it means you do not understand. Or, and this is the harder thing for us to believe, we just don't want to try. There is something weird that happens to us when we tell ourselves a story. When we go through the whole motion, this is what's scary about your body. Your body is constantly doing things that you are not controlling. It's digesting food, it's pumping uh, blood to the rest of your body, it's doing all of these actions that you have no idea of. One of the things that it does for you is that every single time you finish a story for yourself, your brain releases a little bit of dopamine, which is a little feeling of feeling good. So in the very action of you feeling horrible, you are feeling good. In the very action of you completing a very untrue story about yourself, the addictive quality of dopamine is constantly going into your brain that you actually quite enjoy. Now, how paradoxical is that? That the very thing you hate 
is the very thing that you are actually addicted to, which is you feeling bad about yourself. And now things begin to make a little bit more sense. Why do I keep going back to that idea? Why do I keep thinking about myself in that certain way? Why do I keep doing this or this or this or this or this? The underground, uh, underlying thing of all of that is you actually like it, which is weird for us. The two things, the gospel isn't prevalent enough or you don't try. So now it also makes it very easy for us to then understand what we need to do. It's the story of David. David is talking to Nathan. Nathan has this whole situation. Dude, you cheated on your wife. And not only did you cheat on your wife, you killed the other dude on the other side of this. You have massively screwed up. So now David has a whole perspective of the way that he has lived his life. All Nathan has to do is at the end of this thing when he says, you are that man, the one who killed the lamb of the other person, who had everything and yet you wanted more. When he says, you are that man, all it was was someone outside of yourself to introduce an idea that changed your perspective. Someone outside of yourself to introduce an idea to change your perspective. And then it leads us to believe something about what we learned last week. At the end of our series in Life Distortion, John uses this language all the time. Children of God, you are children of God. You are children of God. You are children of God. What does that mean for every single one of the people in this room? Family. Family which means that if you follow Jesus, you are not called to attend, you are called to belong. Because the very call that you are to work out your salvation is not to do it individually. It's to do it with people, with the person next to you maybe, with family members, with friends. That's someone outside of you when you are having these ideas, these thoughts come into your mind that, that you just let them talk to you and all of a sudden they say the one simple thing. Do you know Jesus loves you, right? And in that moment, like we talked about last week, you either buy it or you don't. If you buy it, you understand the gospel. If you don't, the gospel doesn't mean as much to you as you think it does. That's the call that you would understand. Paul is looking to you when he says, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Like how gnarly is that? You as a human being with faults, with mistakes, with problems, have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the mind of Christ with you all of the time. So start acting like it. Now, as we're going to get into next week, this is just general stuff. We haven't even hit the idea of anxiety yet. This is just the way that you think. 
One of the problems with anxiety that we begin to have happen to us is we begin to take, in our normal language, emotion as identity. I am happy. I am depressed. All of those sentences, all of those structures lead me to say about myself and verbalize about myself that I am the thing that I am feeling. I am the thing that I am feeling. And if you begin to be a person who practices the habit of becoming the thing that you feel, it will ruin you. How many times do we sit in a village service where Mark says, do not trust your feelings? When you're married, your wife just had a baby. She has all of this baby weight on her. You're walking through the store and you see this, you know, young girl who just works out every single day and she gives you the googly eyes. And all you want to do is, oh my gosh, my heart. It's fluttering. Your emotions in that moment are going to deceive you. For you to believe that your identity is based off of what you're feeling is going to destroy us. And better yet, the way that we need to think about things is the way that the, the, the author of Ecclesiastes writes things. That for everything there is a season. And maybe the simple shift for you in that moment where something's happening in your life. It's a family situation. It's a friend situation. Whatever it is, it's this constant ongoing thing for you. Maybe the simple little shift, the simple little idea that changes the perspective is you just say, I am in a season of blank. I am in a season of hurt. I am in a season of anxiety. I am in a season of hurt. I am not anxious. I am not depressed. These are things that are happening to me. These are not things that I am. That little thing changes everything. You are not called to have a spirit of fear. You are called to have a spirit of God Almighty who has granted power through the gospel, who has given to you as an inheritance life and life to the full. That idea changes everything. Everything about you changes. At times we get distracted, we get messed up, we have disappointments, we have all of these feelings, and we have this beautiful story that happens in the end of Luke where Jesus is crucified and he has these two disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem to this road, on this road to the way to Emmaus, and Jesus meets them on the road, and in that moment he meets them in the disappointment. These two guys said, man, we've been waiting. All of our people have been waiting for thousands and thousands of years for this Messiah guy to show up. We thought it was this Jesus dude, and it wasn't him. And now look at the disappointment that we have. Everything's screwed up. It's done. We're out. We're going. It's over. It's the way they felt. Man, we think we have problems. The culmination of everything they've ever lived for just went sideways. That's disappointment for them. And it's interesting what Jesus does. Because all he says to the men is, you don't get it. And then all he did, 
on the walk was open up the scriptures to them and teach them about himself. And at the end of that walk, everything for them was different. At times, in times of trial, in times of depression or anxiety, we get into this moment where we say, man, God, why don't you do anything? Why don't you say anything? Um, there's this website. It's like a Christian satirical website called the Babylon Bee. Um, if you've never read it, you should because it's hilarious. And uh, one of the headlines says, man complains about God not speaking to him two feet away from the Bible. And I read that, and it's funny, but it's also very sad, because that's everyday life for a lot of people. God, why aren't you speaking? God, why aren't you saying anything? God, why aren't you here? And then we have this, sitting under the bed, on the shelf, in the backpack. And we know, that's the worst part about it, we know that this is what we need. And we just don't want to. So for you to capture every thought, to understand and push forward is to, in a very interesting way, I want you to think about this, is to do everything that we've learned up to this point in the year. What did we start? What was the very first series we did in January? Practice. What was practice all about? It was about disciplines. Worship, Bible reading, prayer. It was having this discipline within yourself and your relationship with Jesus that you would actually put effort into doing something. Interesting how much that fits here, doesn't it? to actually have the effort to go and maybe read your Bible, to pray, to worship. And then we moved into a different thing, right? Relationships. And all of a sudden, Paul calls us to this idea that we have to be a family and relationships are actually super important to us, not just boyfriend, girlfriend, but family member, friend, whatever, because that's the way that we are called to live the Christian life. And then what did we just do? What was the series we, we just had? Life in distortion. And what was that whole series about when we didn't even know it? It was the battle of ideas. So what are you to do here? Stick with it. Be disciplined. Try. Read your Bible. Pray. Worship. Have a community around you of relationships that will put you in a place where you are able to grow. Understand that here you have a bunch of leaders that are your number one fan. Our leaders spend a dumb amount of time praying for you. And the last thing is, this is a fight. One of the things that you have to understand as a follower of Jesus is that when you want to become a, Christ, a Christian, the birthmark of a Christian is a bullseye. The birthmark of a Christian is a bullseye. Do you think Satan wants you to have a good life? No. But what did Jesus say? 
Expect that they will hate you. Expect that you will hurt. Expect that it will be difficult, not because of you, but because of me. Take every thought captive. Live life in the joy of what Christ has won for you. Have friends that surround you. Spend time with Jesus. Allow yourself to be open to the fact that maybe at times we just do not try. We love you guys. But this is one of those conversations that we have to have that you must learn 15, 16, 17, 18 years old that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control which means those ideas do not dictate the way that you begin to live your life. You must be the one in control of the ideas that dictate the way that you live. I'll leave you with this last thing, I swear. And it's about worship. And it's about the time that we're about to enter into. The idea of worship is an interesting thing. When we talk about discipline, relationships, and then this idea of a fight, every single time you worship, it is you entering into battle. Every single time you come into worship, it is you entering into battle. Every single time you go and you sing those songs loudly, it is you declaring against all of the things that's trying to make your life following Jesus undone. The way that one uh, pastor puts it is that your praise is a problem for your problems. I love that. That your praise is a problem for your problems because when you worship, you are taking thoughts captive. You are fighting. You are giving all that you have. And I think that's one thing that we need to remember. This is the way that, once again, Dallas Wood puts it. We say flatly, worship is at once the overall character of the renovated thought. This is life and the only safe place for a human being to stand. That in your worship, it is the only safe place to where everything else doesn't matter. So let's pray. Let's enter into that time and just believe that, that Jesus will do a work that if you're someone here today and you have no idea who Jesus is, if you have never entertained the thought of giving your life away to him to have a new life where these ideas and concepts are real and true for you, I pray that tonight would be the night. That you would find a, a friend. You would find a leader. That you would come to me. I would love to pray through this with you. That today, the idea that your ideas run you is over, and that through the Holy Spirit, in your repentance and giving your life to Jesus, you will have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these students, for all that they're doing here in this place, that there are a lot of difficult things that are happening that we at no point want to minimize or belittle these issues or problems, that we are just asking our students here to fight for what it is that they have. That God, you have won victory for us. Allow us to live in that victory 
wholefully and allow us to live in that victory every single day with discipline and love, with a community around us that we are committed to and that are committed to us. That those are the things we, we think about. We will, we will take every thought captive for your glory and the idea of your gospel will change our perspective. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.